and, and welcome. Uh, my name is Adrian. I just add my welcome to everyone else. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're getting into John 7 right now. And uh, I don't know if you joined a few people from Evening Church, quite a number actually. A little while ago, we watched a live stream on the topic of forgiveness. Topic of forgiveness. We actually got to hear the Archbishop uh, Kanishka. He got down and did some talk, uh, a sermon, and it was, it was really good. Uh, he, we learnt at the heart of God and his mission is forgiveness. And as his children, we are to forgive. It was, I think it was a really timely word because I think in this cultural moment, uh, there's quite a bit of angst and I think there's also quite a bit of judging going on. Uh, judging or judgment of others seems to kind of be the air we breathe. Uh, we might judge the government's roadmap. Uh, we might judge other people's opinions. Uh, we might judge other people's actions. Now, I don't think that judgment is all wrong. Uh, we need to evaluate things and then judge what is right or wrong. But my observation at the moment is that many people are making quick judgments, snap judgments. They're making judgments without necessarily holding all the facts. Uh, for example, we might judge those who protest. You know, we might say, oh, they're rule breakers and they're selfish. But we actually don't know their hearts and we don't know their minds. We simply make a judgment based on appearance. Or maybe we might make judgments on misinformation. You know, I can't tell you how many articles I've read that contain opposing facts about vaccines and herd immunity. I mean, judgments, you know, they're everywhere. And judgments, they kind of seem to be based on misinformation or based on appearance alone. And I think where so much judgment in the, is in the air, uh, we need to breathe out forgiveness. And we need to be careful that this prevailing attitude of quick judgments does not influence how we come to Jesus Christ. Because in today's passage, God calls people, Jesus calls those who are listening to judge rightly about who he is. And in some ways, I think it's a little bit surprising that people are judging who Jesus is so wrongly. Because for the last six chapters, Jesus has been performing signs and teaching clearly so that people will see who he is clearly, that they will judge who he is rightly. He's been showing us that he is the fulfillment of God's plans to rescue his people. So in John 6 last week, he performed a huge miracle as the Passover festival approached. The Passover remembered God's how God rescued his people from Egypt, including a time when God fed his hungry people bread from heaven. And so as the Passover approaches, what does Jesus do? Well, he feeds a huge crowd with five loaves of bread and two fish, and then he says, I'm the bread of life. Or in other words, I fulfill the Passover. I am the ultimate rescuer. I am the new exodus. Now today, another festival approaches, and it is called the Festival of the Booths, or the Festival of the Tabernacles. It is a big one. This is a week-long festival where people would make temporary shelters and live in them. And some of these shelters even kind of were on top of their roofs. And you can kind of just imagine the hype as so many people are living differently for a whole week. Now, importantly for today's story, a lot of water was involved in this festival. On each day, not a glass jug, but a golden jug was filled with water from the Pool of Siloam. 
and was carried by procession by the high priest back to the temple. The water was then offered to God at the time of morning sacrifice. The water looked back. The water looked back when God provided water from a rock to his thirsty people who were wandering in the desert. The water reminded people of rescue, of salvation, and the water looked forward. It looked forward to a time when God would pour out his spirit on his people. And so this festival, it looked back at a great salvation won and looked forward to a great salvation to come. This is the scene that is set for us in John 7. And it's important to keep that all in mind, especially as we get to the end of this passage. But for now, the reader is asking the question, what will Jesus do as this festival approaches? Really do what he did last time as the Passover came near? Well, he doesn't do much at first. He does not act quickly. He acts in his own time. And as the story unfolds, we learn a little about the who and why of people who judge Jesus wrongly. So first, who makes wrong judgments? Who makes wrong judgments? I mean, when you think of your biggest supporters in life, who do you think of? Or when you think of who are your cheerleaders, you know, who are those people that encourage you on, uh, who do you think of? Uh, maybe, maybe you think of a friend, someone who's kind of stood by you for most of your life. For me, I, I, I do think of my family. My kids particularly, they still think I can do amazing things. I'm not sure if they're just being nice to me, but they still think I could get on Ninja Warrior. But to be honest, this photo is about as close as I'll ever get. <laughs> I've got to admire someone's Photoshop skills on this one. But if I did, and if I did get on Ninja Warrior, I know that my children would certainly be screaming along on the sideline. My family would be my supporters. And so the beginning of John 7 is kind of shocking because it turns out that Jesus' brothers, like our kids' talk helpfully showed us, rather than supporting him, they really don't understand him. The brothers go, ah, oh, huge festival's coming with such huge crowds. Jesus, this is your perfect opportunity. Show yourself to the world. There's a reason for this. It's in verse 4. That he, they say that no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Now, to our ears, we might not think that to work in secret sounds that bad, but for the brothers, to work in secret was an act of deceit. It was a sign of trickery. And so they say to Jesus, go big. And they urge him to do this because they did not believe him in verse 5. They're not convinced. They're not convinced he is sent from heaven. They are not convinced that God is his father. They don't believe. And so like the crowds in the previous chapter, they urge Jesus to go big, to do more works so your disciples can see. But Jesus like we've seen over and over again in John's Gospel, he does not walk to the drumbeat of popular opinion, nor does he take orders from his brothers. He does the will of God and he works to God's plan. He works to God's timing. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Jesus lumps his brothers in with the world. The world, you know, when I think the world, I, I do think big, beautiful world, 
maybe I think a little bit broken, and at the moment, maybe I think a lot broken. But in the Gospel of John, when he uses the word world, often it describes people who are in opposition to Jesus. I check out these little quotes from John. The world did not recognize Jesus. The world needs its sin to be taken away. The world cannot accept Jesus. The world hates Jesus. The world rejoices at Jesus' death. And now Jesus says to his brothers that the world will not hate them. The implication? The brothers are of the world and not of Jesus. Who makes wrong judgments about who Jesus Christ is? The world. I mean, that that is a broad category. But within that broad category, there are the brothers, Jesus' own flesh and blood, and they judge who Jesus is wrongly. And I think this gives us pause to reflect. Have I made a wrong judgment about Jesus? Surely as those who are of the world, in the world, we're not immune to it. But even those who maybe have a long Christian heritage, who are more like brothers, who are familiar with Jesus, it's possible you too have made a wrong judgment about who Jesus Christ is. And so we must judge carefully and we must judge slowly. Our next question is where do judgments flow from? Now, I'm a big fan, you can see from this slide, that I'm a big fan of the TV show Survivor. I think it is probably the greatest game that is played on earth. It's excellent. Uh, But one of the things that I love about Survivor is they often cast characters who really uh, are quite divisive. Uh, People you will either love or people you will hate. This season, the producer's favourite is King George. King George. Fans often react strongly either in the positive or in the negative. A big character causes big and mixed responses. Now, I know if you watch Survivor, George would love to make a comparison to him and Jesus. I don't really want to do that, but it's kind of true. Jesus, too, is a big character who does draw mixed responses, and that really does come out in this chapter. Uh, Some think he's good. Others think he's leading people astray. Some think he is the Christ. Others think that is impossible. Some think he's the promise, the prophet who is promised to come. So many judgments being made about who Jesus is. The question is, where do these judgments come from? In particular, where do the wrong judgments come from? Because in this next scene, Jesus, in his own time, not his brothers, has headed to the feast. At about the middle of the feast, maybe the third or fourth day, he began to teach in the temple. Verse 14. Uh, The Jews are amazed at his teaching, and as they marvel, Jesus takes the opportunity to help his listeners reflect on their own hearts. First, he says in verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm teaching on my own authority. I I think this is quite a striking comment. Normally, the way I want to judge someone's teaching is by looking to some external source or evidence to see if things line up. So if I, if I want to trust some people more, I look and see if they've got the right qualifications and the right expertise. Along the way, Jesus has given a lot of evidence for trusting his teaching and trusting from, about where he's come from. But in this verse, rather than considering the evidence, he causes the listener to reflect on their own hearts. 
If anyone's will is to do God's will, if anyone is lined up with God, if anyone's thinking and attitude is consistent with God, they will know that Jesus' teaching is from God. Partly because they'll see that Jesus' teaching is consistent with who God is, and partly because making a right judgment about Jesus is not simply an intellectual decision. It's a moral decision. So Jesus interrogates the temple crowd. Have you made a wrong judgment about Jesus because you don't do the will of God? Or to put it in other words, for our world today, does our world make the wrong judgments about Jesus not because they don't have the facts, but because they love doing things their own way. It's not an intellectual battle, it's a moral battle. And maybe you've had that experience. There's something in your life that you know or suspect does not honour God, but rather than repenting, you reinterpret what Jesus says. Or, to use my language today, you judge wrongly his teaching. Because your will is not lined up with God's. You no longer judge Jesus' teaching as right. If you want to judge rightly who Jesus is, it's not about getting the facts right, it's about getting your heart right. That's the first challenge. Second, in verse 19 to 23, Jesus challenges the crowd's quick and superficial judgments of him. He does this by referring to something the Jews dearly love, by referring to the law of Moses. Uh, the Old Testament books that formed them as a nation and laid down the way they are to live. And he refers particularly to two rules. The first one is circumcision. This was the law that every male child who's eight days old was to be circumcised. The other law he refers to is the Sabbath. It was a day when no one was to work. Two laws, two laws which they are quite foreign to us, but they were absolutely fundamental to the Jewish crowd. The question Jesus poses is what happens when these two laws clash? What happens when the eighth day falls on the Sabbath? Well, the Jews would complete the circumcision. They judged the circumcision as of greater importance than the Sabbath. Now, with all that groundwork set, Jesus says, what about me? Verse 23. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Just like on the Sabbath, the Jews worked and circumcised one part of the body, so Jesus works on the Sabbath, but he makes the whole body well. Just like the Jews on the Sabbath, Jesus has done the better thing. Jesus' implied question is, why do you judge me for something you also do? And I kind of would have loved to have been there in the crowd. You know, I could imagine someone kind of raising their hand to speak and then slowly dropping it down, having nothing to say, because the logic is sound. And so Jesus concludes this section, verse 24, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Don't be superficial in your judgment. I read recently about a study that measured how quickly people make judgments about others when they first met. Here's the quote, it'll come up on the screen. How long do you think it would take me to determine if there was a possibility of friendship between us? 30 seconds? A minute? Five minutes? How long? The surprising result, it took the average person between, okay, 
time for a challenge at home or on the chat. See if you can guess. See if you can guess. How long it took to determine a possibility of friendship when someone first meets someone else? Okay, and the answer is, the surprising result, it took the average person between 2.4 and 4.6 seconds to decide if there was a potential relationship. You surprised? Humans love to make quick judgments. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you think that is. But Jesus says, judge with right judgment. To the temple crowd, I think he might say, judge according to your own law. This is what Nicodemus actually calls for at the end of the chapter. Give Jesus a fair judgment according to our law. And to both us and them, he might say, interrogate your heart. Answer the question. What causes you to judge Jesus and his teaching quickly and wrongly? We might judge quickly because we think we already know everything. We might judge quickly because we'd rather do our own will rather than God's will. But rather, judge slowly, read and think deeply. For those who don't yet trust in Jesus, don't write Jesus Christ off. Be curious about who he is. Explore his claims. Understand why he teaches what he teaches, especially the things that are controversial. And for the believer, maybe it's not so much about judging who Jesus is wrongly, but judging his teaching wrongly. Rather than diving in deep, we might read his teaching superficially and quickly and we might not do the hard work of trying to work out what was God's intended purpose behind this passage but isn't that kind of what the Jews did with the law and Jesus and that was very dangerous for them so let's be people who judge not by appearance not superficially but with right judgment and let's come rightly to Jesus because Jesus offers a rescue to those who judge wrongly. I, I, I love, there's something I love about this passage. There's this just wonderful build-up. It's like a small whisper grows to a loud shout. Because at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is, is kind of silent. He doesn't go up to the feast with his brothers. But then he goes in verse 13 and he teaches. And then in verse 28, he proclaims. And now on the final day of the feast, what does he do? Verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out. He cries out on the last day of the seven-day feast, a festival that looked back to salvation and looked forward to a great salvation to come, a festival where water was drawn and where water was poured daily. And now Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. It's like Jesus is saying, if anyone is thirsty, forget this festival. Forget this ritual pouring of water. Come to me, the one that this festival is truly all about. Come to me, the one who saves, the one who brings the salvation 
you were looking forward to, the one who brings and sends the Spirit. Jesus, in some ways, says to this crowd, judge rightly. See and hear who Jesus Christ truly is. He is what the festival was all about. He is the one who brings the salvation they all need. And this salvation is offered to those who questioned him, to those who hated him, to those who wanted to arrest him, and to those who have judged wrongly. NCA Church, we do live in a world where we evaluate and judge quickly. And it's pretty easy to do. I do it all the time, I reckon. It's easy to make judgments based on appearance. It's easy to make judgments based on misinformation. It's easy to make judgments that fit well with our own will rather than God's. But God calls us today not to judge by appearance, but to judge with right judgment, to slowly and carefully listen to Jesus and come to him based on what he has revealed. So come to him, the one who was saved in the past and the one who will save in the future. I'm going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray and ask that as we come to Jesus, uh, that you will help us to judge who he is slowly. Help us to hear who he is and think deeply. And we pray, God, that you will rid us of that danger of being superficial in our judging of who Jesus is. Please help us to see him as the saviour, the one who saved in the past and the one who will save in the future. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.